Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this gospel good news. Lord, we thank you that you have come and you have revealed yourself, that you have spoken to us, that you have given us your Holy Spirit so we might know you. We might know you even though the world would think it's foolish and those who have known you in the past might think it weak. Lord, we thank you that you are here. We pray that we would become your light, that we become salty with your grace. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. It's been on my heart for some time that, um, thank you, thank you, sir. Um, our, our culture is in a really desperate situation right now. I think some of you may have heard me. I did a little post this week uh, and it, sort of introducing the new group that we've started, which is engaging with culture and engaging with the arts of the culture, the media of the culture, all the things that are part of what we call culture. And we're trying to understand as Christians, how do we be a light in the midst of this culture, which has a lot of confusion, a lot of darkness, but I think one of the things that stands out most of all, and we talked about that a lot on Wednesday, is the contempt that is so rampant in the culture. It is truly become toxic. And um, there's a lot of verbal battles, a lot of political battles, a lot of rhetorical battles. We see it on CNN, we see it on you know, Fox News, we see it in Congress, we see it in the executive branch, and it's upsetting. I can't tell you how many times I just look to a picture and I don't even need to read the captions under it because I can tell by the face that people are filled with hatred and bitterness and contempt. They're disgusted with other people. And the other people are absolutely morons or idiots or I don't know, you know? And we see that, don't we? It's, it's not good. We talked about that this week. And, um, you know, we realized that that was one of the big problems in our culture. I think that was maybe the first thing that we put at the top of the list, that there's no possible way, it seems, to have civil disagreement and there is this toxic recurrence of contempt and disdain and, you know, it's a problem. This week, there's a man named Arthur Brooks who came in, I think it was, uh, was it Friday morning? So it's basically uh, like with 36 hours after we had our discussion on Wednesday night about that exact problem, this guy, Arthur Brooks, who's, I believe he's a conservative, but he's a professor at the Harvard um, uh, Kennedy School for Government. He, he self-identifies self as a conservative, but one of the things that he said is he, he said, this is the most paramount, most critical, crucial problem in our culture right now is that there is this tearing down of one another and this dismissive, you know, venomous vitriol that we're constantly directing to people who don't agree with us. And uh, he's sitting there and, and there, that audience is full of people in D.C. who are both Democrats and Republicans. Um, Trump got up, I think, during that same breakfast and gloated a little bit about being quitted from the impeachment. And, um, you know, I think the other side probably has done other things. But in any case, you've got that, that, that problem right there. Here he is identifying it, that this is the number one problem. And here we are gathered as Christians in a national prayer breakfast. And he, he says, this is not how we're supposed to be. We're actually supposed to be very different. Something completely, utterly, totally different from how the world engages with problems. How, how do we work through difficulty? It should be totally different. And we have a lot of reasons for it to be different. And that's, I think, what our Lord is getting at to a great extent this morning. And, um, 
in some ways, I think what we saw in the Old Testament reading that John read is, is that the Lord is taking us to task for this right now. It's like we have not listened to the word of God, which brings a kind of a life to it, first to us, and then when we really let that take residence in us, we start to speak from that, we can impart that same life to others. And what's happening to the Israelites in that situation is that they've not listened themselves to words, they've not fed on salted words, and so they can't share them with others. And uh, what this fellow Arthur Brooks said is that um, we're in a dire, dire situation. He reminded everybody at that breakfast that you know, one of the most telltale signs of a marriage that's about to fall apart is when one or both of the spouses are holding each other in contempt. And this means like, basically, I'm done with you. You're wor- it's not worth trying anymore. You're less than human. You're less than worthy of me trying anymore. And uh, I think the research um, people, I think this is the Gottman research that he's referring to, would say that's one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's just a matter of time now before it actually turns into a a divorce. And so what Brooks is saying to us is that we're in the midst of a culture that's so taken over by this way of being that we have a culture that might literally have a divorce in it. This culture, this country has been through a civil war before. And it is the most deadly kind of war you can have. The most Americans died during that war. I pray to God that that doesn't happen, but somehow we've got to figure out how to not continue to feed the flames of this kind of violence which is hidden in the contempt that we have held for one another because we don't share maybe the same political beliefs or the same in the context of the country, the same religious beliefs. But Christians have a higher call. And so there's a solution here. And I think Jesus is pointing to it. He's been um, giving his disciples, or at least those who would be his disciples, on the Sermon on the Mount, he's been giving them an outline of what it looks like. They're following him because he's actually powerfully addressing people in the real felt needs, the actual kind of down-to-earth needs that they have. So they're coming to him with sickness, they're coming to him with demonic affliction, so a lot of mental, spiritual issues, and he's bringing healing to them, so a lot of people have gathered around him. That's power, by the way. So here he is, the Word of God, in the flesh, the Son of God who spoke creation and being, and now he's in the flesh, and he's speaking um, to people first through his actions. So there's a really, really powerful witness happening about who he is and who God is through his actions. And then because people have gathered around, he starts to speak to them the words which we call the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are intense. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Very demanding. He's getting at things that take the law of the Old Testament and he's bringing it into the inside of what it looks like when you're really in the Lord. Or as Paul says this morning in our second reading, like when you really have the Spirit of God in you, you actually know the mind of Christ. You can actually speak a word of his because you are sharing his thoughts. And we have that same Spirit. And what he's describing in the Beatitudes is what is it like when you're in that? What is it like when you're in the kingdom? Well, there's this blessing, and it's a powerful blessing. It's so powerful, it launches you into a kind of a ministry, but it's hard. And the last one that he speaks to is, blessed are those who, are, who persecute you. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. So then we come to our, our, um, our text for today, which is salt and light. 
And this is important for us. I think it's important for every single church, every single Christian, every single generation. But um, for me, it, it, it always hits home because we're called to be the light of Christ, you know, very locally in a very specific way. That's our name. But he starts with something that is maybe not immediately obvious to us. Um, he's saying, um, you are the salt of the earth. So what does that mean? He gives a hint in the text. It's taste. It has to do with taste, right? So that's a, that's a, a thing that might not mean a whole lot to us because we have so many different spices in this, in this day. A lot of different spices from all over the world. But one of the main spices that would add flavor to food back then was, was salt. And, um, but not only that, it was something that was used in sacrifice. And um, so if you were to if you were to make a sacrifice to God and it was the morning prayer in the temple or the evening prayer in the temple, you would do a, a grain sacrifice or an animal sacrifice and you would salt it. And then that smoke would rise up and it was an expression of the covenant but also an expression of holiness. What Jesus is speaking to in a way that we don't immediately get is he's talking again about the quality of the kind of life that you have when you really are in Christ, when you really are in the kingdom, you're actually now salt of the earth. The earth without salt is tasteless. You know, food that's grown in the, from the earth without seasoning isn't seasoned. You know, you know it's, it's, it's still earth, it's still vegetables or whatever. I really don't like vegetables without some seasoning in them. And I think most of us don't. And there's a lot of words that we can speak to one another that are like, those are good vegetables. You should hear these words. And when they're not salted, they're just bad. And they make you kind of want to throw up. Okay? And I think that's what's happened a lot. And I, I think that, um, man, this is, this, is a, this is a tough one. I don't even know fully how to do it. And that's why I think um, there's some things we have to learn that will help us. But... I think when we start to lead with the judgment of, for instance, the law, there's so many different ways that we can step outside of the pattern of life that we're meant to live in and to thrive in. And that there's all sorts of moral implications. Like I really shouldn't be greedy and I really shouldn't be gambling and I really shouldn't be bitter and holding people in contempt. I mean, or it should be, you know, the sexual mores, those are the most triggering things that we might speak to. And, um, and, and, and when, when the battle gets defined by, by people who are fighting over how should I live, no, you shouldn't live this way, you should live that way. And if you think that way, then you're, you're bad. And if you think that way, you're bad. And everybody just can't reconcile at all. And I think what happens sometimes is it's a very, very complicated thing because we know that we don't want to say evil is good or good is evil. That would be wrong. But when we say for instance, that the way you're behaving and the lifestyle you've chosen to live, which, by the way, most of the time people don't feel they've chosen it, whatever that lifestyle may be, and I mean whatever. I'm not specifically talking about anything. You, uh, you're living an ungodly life. You should get your act together. This is not the way to live. And we don't, prior to that, have any ministry of love or any ministry of real presence or any ministry like Jesus of coming to people who are actually in a place of need and need healing or in a place of loneliness and need hospitality. When we speak those words, it's, 
like eating vegetables without salt. And I, I think sometimes we discover our need for Jesus when we realize how far we fall short of standards, but everybody has some standards they fall short of. They can get in touch with that pretty quick. But I, I think we just have to be careful about that. And I think that we have to be so ourselves salty we have to be so ourselves part of a different quality, part of a different way of being, that when we speak words, even hard words, that they actually minister life. There's a lot of things that every single one of us still do not want to give up. And there are our familial idols, if you will. The things that we do, to, oh, I just need to take care of myself this little way. Well, we need salt if that's us at any moment. We need his salt. The, uh, the salt in the, um, in the sacrifice, it ended up being used for every sac sacrifice, but it was used twice a day, particularly morning and evening prayer. And that starts to get at something that I think is important about salt, which is um, it needs to become a regular part of your day. And he's become probably at least a twice time thing. Twice time, tw two times a day, right? <laughs> I, need, I need to still wake up. And, I, and I, I think that that's one of the ways you begin to change something. The way, the way you begin to have a mind of Christ is you begin to eat his salted words. Paul actually prays that, um, that we should and urges us to, uh, first of all, pray and then to salt our words with grace. He's talking again, grace is this quality of life that's from God, and it's, it's gratuitous. It's a gift. It's an expression of his love. We don't deserve it. And it especially comes through the sacrifice of Jesus' own body. He's the one who gives us the salt. He's the one that makes it possible for us to come together with him. This then gives us the ability to speak. Another way to understand the salted words is these are actually wise words, or they're choice words, fitted to the situation, and they're like golden apples in a, in a silver tray is how the, the Proverbs put it, and I think it's Proverbs 18. And when you are actually in Christ and you've come together and you've shared that morning and evening meal with him that is salted with his presence and salted with his eternal life, then you have words that can actually speak seasoning to the earth and seasoning to people that need to hear it. I want, I want to encourage you um, to think about ways twice a day that you can do that. We do have a morning and evening prayer practice in the Anglican tradition. Have you ever done that? Do you know what that might look like? We don't have time to go through it. We will equip you to do that during Lent in particular. But I want you right now to start to think about it. So that's what I'm doing. I'm just giving you a little seasoning on your prayer practice. I want you to let that seasoning marinate a little bit in your life. Because I think if we are living in the temple, which we are still called to live in, except now it's a temple of spirit and truth, now it's the temple of our bodies, now it's the temple of gathering and fellowship, and we do that regularly, we will be salt and we will be light. Why? Because we've had our own lives salted. Let me put another framework on this. We realized in our group on Wednesday night, that one of the reasons people get so desperate and get so really ugly in their speech with one another is because they think that their world and their conception of the world 
is all there is. And they think that the, and the other people who they're, you know, against seem to be saying the same thing, that their conception of the world is all that there is. And it's just maybe a political world or maybe a tribal world or something like this. But it's, this is, this life that we live is all there is. I think what happens for Christians is, is they get to be more like Jesus and they can actually have a mind that is in the heavenly places is how Paul puts it. We are seeking things above. And so we can actually be so rooted in Christ, in us, who becomes our hope. In other words, our hope is not rooted in stuff that's stuck on the ground. Our life, for instance, is not defined by the mortal one that actually dies. It isn't. We are living in a different reality once we come into Jesus and once we come into the Spirit. Jesus is the first one to manifest this. When he's confronted by Pilate and Pilate's just like completely shocked. Don't you understand? I, I have the power to deliver you. And, and Jesus is like, you wouldn't have that power unless my Father had given it to you. Jesus knows that the Father is over this. And he knows it quite specifically that God has a plan for him in that moment. But the thing that the Christian can always trust, and this is the perspective that they can always have, is that they're living from a higher temple. They're living from a higher place of government. They're not dependent upon this party agreeing with them or that party agreeing with them or this group of peers in high school approving of them. They're not dependent upon that. They're actually dependent upon the words that come from above. Those words, those salty, grace-filled words. They're feeding on that. That's a different, different place to live from. And that's food for the soul, salty food for the soul. It's a table at the king's table. It's a, it's a meal at the king's table. So this is what feeds us, I think, is to really enter into that way of saltiness and to begin to speak from that, having spent time in the t- temple, having spent time at the table, having feasted on his word. Right, so that's, that's the first thing that we see here. And second thing, which is, is the, the last part of our sermon, is the light, that we're called to be light. This is who we are. And um, Jesus speaks of it as um, the kind of thing that is meant to be seen. And he right now is the light. As long as he was on the earth, he made it clear that he was the light as he was walking in their midst. But then he says that we will be the light of the world once he ascends and once we have the spirit. And uh, he's taking us further in, in a way. And he's saying, I want you to enter into my presence some of the illusion there, if the salt is the sort of the outer court where the sacrifices are done, then the, the next place that you go in the temple is that um, holy place where there's the showbread and then there's this seven candle, you know, candelabra, which is a symbol of what Isaiah saw, that um, there were these seven spirits, the seven spirits of God that are the light of God. And, um, and he's saying, in many ways, he's saying that you are becoming that light. You are becoming sort of my eyes, so to speak, with which I look out in the world and my hands with which I can uh, feed the world and, and share this food that I've given you, which is my son. And that's light. And I want you to be that light. And actually, I want you to be that light in a way that's visible. The first visibility I want it to have is with one another. I want it to be really giving light to the house. So the, that light, by the way, is a very intimate light in a small space. It's a holy space. But 
all, a lot of times they would have these huge festivals and that, that candelabra would sort of be transposed to a gigantic candelabra in the courtyard. I think it was like 150 feet high or 100 feet high, I can't remember exactly. And that would be so ablaze with fire that people could see it from miles around in Jerusalem. And I think that what Jesus is often referring to is that kind of festal light. That if you are part of a community that is really itself on fire, that means we're loving one another and that light of God's grace is being distributed amongst each other. That light of his spirit even is being dancing like tongues of flame amongst one another and shared with one another. If we're doing that, then we become that big gigantic candelabra on a hill. There's something about the way that we praise that is important. To be light is, yes, it's to impart words of encouragement to one another. The way Paul puts it is he, he, he says, like, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another so that you can be a light. And that is one of the things that happens when you're in communion with God, you become somebody who communicates that to one another. One of the things we also realized on Wednesday night when we were in this group is we're gonna get better at speaking into controversial situations. We have to remember that all speech is to make common, right? All communication, think about the roots of the word. All communication, communication, is to make common. And what do we have that's common? We have our one Lord, our one Savior, our one Holy Spirit. He is giving himself to be common to all of us. And he's giving us then also one another. And he's giving us his words so that we can build up one another so that we can be communicating, communing even one another. So, so much of what we're seeing here is this, this kind of light that is making common the life of God. Again, we're back at that different quality of life. We're back at the, the content that you can then share from, the living dynamic principle that actually can season your speech and make how you look at things and make how you address them full of glory and light, reflective of God, visible to the world. I think tonight we have an oasis service I think one of the things that we seek to be in the evenings at these Oasis services is people who gather and get lit up and then become, sometimes, I guess, literally through advertising on Facebook, like we're spreading that light. Hey, we're here worshiping God, and that is itself spreading light. And then that, that's, in fact, that's the root of Pentecost, isn't it? Isn't that what happened at Pentecost? People are dedicated they're making these offerings to the Lord in prayer and devoted prayer and praise. They're praising the mighty excellencies of God, it says in Acts. And that is heard by people and people are astounded because they hear it in all their different divided states. In all the different languages that they speak, all the different positions that that represent, everybody who's come into that space hears their, about the one Lord and his mighty excellencies and that becomes common to them. The divisions, for instance, of Babel, of, of, of bitter dividedness are made now common in the spirit, in the light of God, in the light of Christ. And so I think when we really enter into this way of worship, and I encourage you guys to do that as much as possible. I was listening to a friend yesterday say, what's his favorite thing? He had a hobby. We were talking about our hobbies in this group that we were in. He said his favorite hobby was to sit in his living room and sing praise songs with his family and sometimes have friends. That's light. 
Many of us have musical gifts. Many of us have gifts of ministry in word through music. It's actually common to all of us. It's meant to be. So one of the, the communications theorists and the neuroscientists are saying that music is one of the quickest ways to get united and to bring people together. Except when you praise God, it's even more powerful. This opens our eyes and it opens our hearts and it unlocks a kind of charity that makes it possible for us to be light. I want to give you a few ideas here. This is, um, this is a light that we are supposed to share. It's a light that we're supposed to make known. I do believe, that, like Jesus is saying, there's nothing about the moral law, for instance, that's changing with Jesus. He's now showing us its interior fountain. Like, you can't live a holy life apart from him and apart from grace and apart from the Spirit. But he is saying that that's still how life is described. So I think sometimes we are called to make witnesses to people who really want to know. I think the rich young ruler is a good example. He's coming up to Jesus saying, I want to know how to live. And, and Jesus realizes this guy is addicted to money. He can't help it. And he knows that this man really probably has to give that up. That's the one idol that is keeping him trapped. Sometimes that has to happen. But you notice that it's personal? It's tailored to that person. It's a choice word fit to the circumstances and fit to the need of the person. Jesus comes in the flesh. He comes down, he meets people in the flesh. It's a very human interaction. He makes common God and the life of God to his people. Like one of the things I want to encourage you to do is to, like uh, Arthur Brooks said in his recommendations, he gave three recommendations. In the midst of a conflicted and contemptuous world, I want you to first of all pray that your own heart change. I first of all want you to pray that your own heart become full of this grace that we've been talking about here this morning and full of this salt and full of this light. Because we can't be um, clean and loving if we don't. I want you to pray about that. I want you to come together and pray tonight for that. I want you to seek prayer on the sides this morning. Pray for that. Come into the light. Come into that reality that Jesus is offering us and ask the Lord to begin to change your heart. This is, this is what he wants for us. It says in Mark, when he speaks to this, he says that we be salted with fire. We salted with, with, with um, fire. It's, a, it's the fire of the Spirit. It's that the, the, the divine life, that salt that's so, so preservative, it, it's eternal. It's, we don't have to worry about the things that we feel are being threatened in the earth because it's eternal. So let him like that eternal fire, that perpetual flame, and bring it to full blaze in prayer. So do that. I want you to um, pray in particular about somebody that you know in person that you can speak that light to. And I want you to ask the Lord to give you a choice word. It may be that you see that their, their, their life is a shipwreck right now, and it's because they don't know Jesus. They have to first know him, and then he can help them become healed. I want you to pray about who that person might be. I don't know if it's somebody in your school, it's somebody in your work, it's somebody in your neighborhood. It's somebody who the Lord just brought to mind a few different times, and you've prayed, and that's good. But I want you to, to seek him for a word for them, I also want you to think about maybe bringing them to the light. One of the things that happens 
in the experience of the temple in Jerusalem is that people would gather from all different parts of the world and people would be invited to come to feasts. People would become invited to Passover meals where the family light of the chosen people would get shared with even Gentiles. So pray about people that you can bring to the light. And I do, I do mean, like maybe here, but maybe not here. Maybe it's actually the mom's group or the men's group. There's light fires. There's little hearth fires that we're gathered around as a community. Pray about who you could bring to something like that, to bring to the light, because not all of us will even be given that choice word. So pray about who you might bring to that. Aiden, I I always think about you and Keith and how that started with you guys, right? How, I think, Aiden, you were really being renewed in the Lord. Your heart was getting on fire. You were realizing that the presence of God is the place that you wanted to be. You wanted to seek his face all the time. Like it says in the psalm, you were living there and you knew that that was life. And then you're working with Keith at Starbucks, right? And for some reason, the Lord took your heart to this dear friend, brother, now family member, basically, right? And, and, and Keith, you felt that, right? And you felt that he was, he was loving you first. And he was bringing his very real presence and tenderness to you. And then what did you do? You actually invited him in. Right? And I think things began to, lights started to come up in your mind and in your heart then, right? That was being the light of Christ. That was salt. That was a, a well-seasoned meal that you guys shared. And then what happens for our family is this, is this a multiplication of salted bread. Because this man here has said so many words to Aiden now to build him up. And that's what happens when you share the light with other people is that then the truth of who they are is meant to become full ablaze and then their light starts to, you know, increase the flame in your own heart. If you want to be encouraged in the light that you have, then start sharing that light. Pray for the light bulb to go off in your head about who you share that with. Because, man, the, the, the wicks of their lives are meant to be lit on fire with the Holy Spirit and set free. Man, make common this grace of God in Jesus. Pray and bring people into that. Bring them into these groups that we have. Um, Praise the Lord. I think sometimes, and this is where I'll end, this ministry is keyed off of those who seem to be furthest away. Arthur Brooks, at the end of his speech, had a really good piece of practical advice. He said, I want you to go out and look for the contemptuous to you like those who really do hold you in contempt. At first I was thinking, man, I don't know if that feels right to me because, you know, you shouldn't necessarily look for somebody who's going to just, you know, wound you and and hurt you. And, And I think there's some wisdom there. I think there has to be discernment. But the one thing that I would say that is true about that is a lot of times when you, when you realize, man, there is somebody who really seems to have it in for me. I think usually what's going on there is they're extremely vulnerable. They're actually most insecure And they're most in need of a word of welcome, a word of understanding, a word not of contempt and judgment because they're already living in condemnation, Jesus says. But a word of grace by which they could meet the Lord who loves them and who is that grace whose blood makes it possible for them to come and hold in common a life with God. Maybe there's somebody like that in your life. That's a bigger question. It has to be discerned. Maybe with a brother or sister, that's why we have prayer on the sides too. 
Lord Jesus, you are the one who came here, that you brought your common life that you shared with the Father and the Holy Spirit and that love, and you communicated it to us that we would become one with you and hold in common that life and then become people who also went out and shared it. Lord, I pray that you would make us salty once again, that you would make us other than this world so that the things of this world would be penetrated by and seasoned by this salt and the darkness of this world would be lit with your light, your love through us. Lord, make it clear to us how to come into the light and how to spread it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.